Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. In the squadron, they called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, all right. Everybody calm down about uh, Donald Trump, Kanye West, Mar-a-Lago. Ooh, goodness gracious. You know, look, no greater friend to the Jewish people, no greater friend to Israel than Donald Trump, period. All right? You can look it up. You want to see an anti-Semite? Well, I can't call him quite an anti-Semite, but he seemed to really have a chip on his shoulder about Israel. Barack Obama. All right? <laughs> uh, so... What happened? Kanye West, you know, eight seconds ago, the guy was like a hero, and he said something totally awful, terrible, uh, anti-Semitic, must be condemned totally. Uh, and I do, by the way. I And I, 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 I don't even know any Kanye West songs. I don't know. He just shows up every now and then, says something outrageous. Does he even sing? I don't even know what his talent is. Uh, whatever. He's uh, He said something outrageous. I will say this, though. If I had a friend... If I had a friend who did something terrible, absolutely horrible, um, the easiest thing in the world, what the fake news wants you to do is just turn your back on that friend immediately. That's it. That's it. Wash your hands of them forever. Goodbye. And there's a time for that, actually. But first, I might just say, what's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Kanye, are you crazy? You don't believe any of this crap, do you? This is what the fake news is saying that you did. What's going on here? I could have that conversation. I might have that conversation and then come to the conclusion. Obviously, Kanye West has flipped his lid. He's totally, uh, totally crazy. And that's it. Goodbye, Kanye. Forever. Uh, but I don't have a problem with Donald Trump having dinner with the guy or meeting with him or call. Who knows what they did? I guess he showed up and uh, was it dinner at Mar-a-Lago? The world comes to Mar-a-Lago sooner or later. Uh, I, I. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Alec Baldwin shot somebody in the face and killed them one year ago. One year ago, Alec Baldwin killed somebody. And he's out and about. Oh, I have a new podcast. Uh, please download. He's on this show. He's on that show. I see him on people in People Magazine. Oh, uh, holidays with the Baldwins. Oh, what a crazy picture they took. Seven kids and the newest one. Put a piece of pie on dad. <laughs> it was all that. It was all just beautiful stuff. I mean, shouldn't this guy be in total hiding? I mean, forever trying to make amends to that family that, uh, wow, if it wasn't for Alec Baldwin. We don't know the whole story about what happened there, but we do know that Alec Baldwin is a crazy maniac hothead. But no, he kills somebody. And uh, so what else, what else is going on, Alec? Tell us more about, you know, your your latest project. Um. I have no interest in Kanye West. I hate anti-Semitism. But if I had a friend, and I guess they're friends or they were friends, he shows up. Look, it's a famous person. Donald Trump is a famous person. They met at least that I know of two times. Once when Donald Trump was president-elect and Kanye West shows up. And then uh, what else? So what was the other time? Uh, oh, at the White House. Remember that ongoing crazy press conference or whatever in the Oval Office? 
I mean, Kanye West is a, is a crazy man. He's a crazy person. He needs help. I don't have a problem with uh, meeting with somebody who needs help. I don't. You know, you can look it up in the Bible. What do they say? The Lord came to minister those who are sick. And, you know, the perfect don't really need much in the way, and there are nobody's perfect, but he came to minister to the sick. I don't have a problem with him meeting with Kanye West. I don't. I have a problem with Kanye West, obviously. You know, I also think I should have, do we have a problem with uh, Nick Cannon, by the way? You know, Nick Cannon. I don't know exactly what he does. Nice guy. Um, but a while back, not too long ago, actually, they caught him on a podcast saying all kinds of crazy stuff about the Jews. Oh, boy. Yeah, this, that, and the other thing. It was right before. It was actually right before. It was like six months before Black Lives Matter summer. It was six months before that, and he was in big trouble. I mean, a public figure voicing that kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, but then Black Lives Matter summer happens, and uh, all is forgiven. <laughs> and he, calling all people that we know in the media world who happen to be black, uh, we need you right now. We want you to be on this show. We want you to be on that show. We want you to run this company. We want you to be on that board. We want you here. We want you there. What uh, they're... But the powers that be are slowly trying coming to terms with is, hey, uh, all these people we uh, just kind of just throw into all these shows and roles. Uh, yeah, they're 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 just like everybody else. OK, 10 percent of them are terrible. Just 10 percent are terrible. And uh, so that a lot of those chickens are coming home to roost. But uh, yeah, Fox News, was it Fox News or Fox Broadcasting gave uh, Nick Robert, what's his name? Uh, Cannon, Nick Cannon, uh, his own show daytime show it was a terrible show by the way he was the successor to wendy williams and he's no wendy williams um but he said some like off the wall very advanced i mean like this is like phd level stuff in anti-semitism he's talking about the caucus mountains and the people and the slavics and, and what it all means and i just whoa and it, bottom line it was an anti-semitism anti-semitic uh remark now I see Dove Hykind has jumped on the bandwagon. Everybody's Chris Christie, Dove Hykind, condemning Trump. How could you? How could you even look at Kanye West? Well, he looked at him. Shut up. Sure, you can come. I mean, when's the last time the fake news told the truth? Um, when's the last time the fake news told the truth? I wouldn't mind talking to somebody directly and finding out. Now, there's one guy I actually am just going to have to take the fake news' word for it. I don't know who he is, but I keep hearing about him. Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is, uh, I, I, I'm just going to have to take their word for it. Every time I look to find out the evidence that this guy is as bad as they say, I just find people saying he's bad. Uh, I'm sure he is because it's all across. It's everywhere. I, I usually don't believe the fake news, but in this, I mean, it's got to be everywhere. However, they could do a better job at discrediting this guy if they just put up the information, this horrible information that he's supposedly putting out. Is he? I haven't seen it. I don't really care to see it. I don't need to see it. Although um, anybody who denies the Holocaust is a maniac. By the way, I've been to um, a concentration camp. Yeah, I went to Dachau in Germany. My goodness gracious. Man's inhumanity to man. It's uh, how do, how, it, and it happens. It happens. You say it never again, but it happens again. It happens again. Rwanda, Hotel Rwanda. Did you ever see that movie? The Hutus and the Tutsis. It happened again. And that time, though, uh, the United Nations and the Clinton administration just stood by and watched. 
Uh, we don't want to get involved there. One of the big reasons why Bill Clinton's hands were tied when it came to doing anything with the military, do you remember they busted his chops big time <laughs> over the, um, you know, on day one, we're going to let gay people serve. And Colin Powell was like, no. <laughs> Colin Penn, Colin Powell had the authority, the kind of moral authority, the the soldier's credibility to say, no, we're not doing that. Yeah, Democrat Colin Powell, who's made a career out of being a Republican yet endorsing, well, may he rest in peace, by the way. But he did, in later in life, make a career out of being the Republican who endorses Democrats. And he did it. He did it always. He, he, he just every, every as soon as he got out of the Bush administration, let's see, he endorsed um, he endorsed Obama and then he endorsed Obama again. And then he endorsed uh, I think he endorsed Hillary in 2016 and then he endorsed Joe Biden. And uh, that's that's the way he rolled. And um, I think that's the way he always rolled. But anyway, uh, Bill Clinton could not use the military because they really shamed him about not having been in the military himself. So he was afraid to do anything when it came to the military because it's going to raise questions about my past and that silly letter I wrote to that NROTC guy who I was trying to, I was just trying to win him over with my charm and my thoughtfulness. And, well, the NROTC guy was was not charmed, was not blown away. Now, why did I bring that up? What was the what would they Bill Clinton, um, and then the don't ask, don't tell, that ties into, look, somebody with Donald Trump's credentials can actually talk to somebody like Kanye West. Never in a million years. Donald Trump, by the way, his blood, his blood literally is Jewish. I mean, his blood is, he has Jewish grandchildren. And it's not just they go to the synagogue once a year. These folks are orthodox. I mean, big time. They don't answer the phone on Saturdays. That kind of orthodox. Ivanka, the apple of his eye, is a Jewish woman. So there's nothing anti-Semitic about Trump. All right, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. But the easiest thing in the world is to jump on the bandwagon. Uh, Chris Christie has jumped on. I mean, everybody. But I, I, I just find it noteworthy when I see somebody like Chris Christie, who is not a leader. He's a follower. He's an absolute follower. And then... Wait, Dove Hyken. Now, on Jewish matters, he's pretty good, but uh, is he turning his back on Trump? Let me hear this. This is the assemblyman from Brooklyn, right? And by and large, he's pretty good on uh, on Jewish matters. Of course he is. But, 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 is he giving Trump a hard time here? Cut six. Donald Trump tells the American people he wants to be president again. So what does he do to endear himself to the American people? Hey, stop he's for just... a second. No, endear himself to the American people. The guy, he ate, he ate a meal. And Kanye West, who else is going to boycott Kanye West? Is that it? Is Kanye West canceled? I'm fine with it. I don't care. Uh, but if I were a friend, if I knew him, I might, I might actually have a cup of coffee with him and say, what the hell is the matter with you? What happened to you? What happened to you? Kanye? Well, I guess we all know. Do I want to hear more from Duff Hyken? Sure. Why not? Down. And Mar-a-Lago, and has dinner with two anti-Semites. Hey, hold on a second. All right, seriously, Dove Hyken, you got to look at what President Trump has done for Israel. You know this. You know what he's done for the Jewish community. You know this. You know you're gonna you're gonna try to get rid of Trump over this. 
where you got other Frady cats like Chris Christie, who will never say, oh, no, 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 no. But they'll never stick their neck out. They'll never say, Barack Obama did not stick it. Oh, I don't know. I think we I think we cut our friends some slack here. And our friend is Donald Trump. Do you remember when he actually started running for president this time? He said, I ask for your friendship. I thought it was a very significant thing to say. I just, and as friends, we talk to each other. Hey, when will the fake news understand that they don't know anything? This is Dana Bash. Now, she has some thoughts about these people. Everything's perfect, right? They're, they're just perfect people. Perfect people. Has Dana Bash ever worked in politics? No. Has she ever run a campaign? No. Has she ever been fair as a journalist? No. All right. Is it worth it? No. But I am curious. Cut five. You know what probably isn't a great way to get voters on your side? Dine at your private club with white supremacists and Holocaust deniers. Uh, That is exactly what happened last week. President Trump had, uh, former President Trump had white nationalist and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes, rapper Kanye West, who is now known as Ye. Uh, The former president claimed that Fuentes was an unexpected guest and he knows nothing about him. And here's what Chris Christie... Uh, ah, yes, Chris Christie. Chris Christie to the red, right? Chris Christie will just serve it up nicely for you. Please condemn Trump. There's Chris Christie standing by to do just that. And Dana Bash is going to tell Trump how to get votes, how to not get votes. Look, you look at his uh, his truth social. He has now written uh, Kanye off. He tried to help him. It didn't work. All right? That's it. That's it. Kanye... Goodbye. It's going to be very easy for me to say goodbye, Kanye. Hey, have you seen the face of that Colorado, the alleged Colorado club shooter? Oh, it's pathetic. It is pathetic. But so in many ways is our culture, which I believe brought on that horrendous mass shooting at that gay bar in Colorado. More when I come back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yeah, that poor, the poor victims at the Q Club in Colorado, and then that alleged shooter. Talk about a guy who had, did not have much of a chance in life. Of course, he took the life allegedly of those uh, five innocent people. Uh, but uh, you know, I look at this, and uh, it's again America. Point the finger, condemn, condemn, condemn. That's what we do, right? Condemn. Oh, oh, yeah. No, that's he's the worst person. I, well, I look at that face uh, with all the scarring, by the way, because that hero jumped on him and subdued him. There was some veteran who was in the club and, and grabbed this guy, and they beat him up hard, which, uh, yeah, that's the that's the thing to do. But I see that scarred, mangled face and the dead eyes, and I, I see a very lost soul. Maybe there's no soul at all. I don't know. But uh, this guy had a lot going against him, a lot. And primarily, first and foremost, <laughs> And as Barack Obama said, you can look it up. We've got the statistics. They show that fatherless homes or single-parent homes, that the odds, 
not against you, but you're just not as set up for success as you are uh, if you have two parents, two parents, two parents. And this guy's parent, whose name was uh, Aaron Brink, but also at work went by Dick Delaware because he was a porn star. And uh, he uh, said something like, well, I can't believe my son was there. He, I can't believe he was there. He's, uh, you know, Mormons don't do gay, and I don't understand why he was there. I'm, 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 anyway, that's all anybody focused on. They found down this guy. His whole world was turned upside down, whatever what was left of it. Cameras rolling, and uh, how could this man, a uh, confessed uh, methamphetamine addict slash former porn star, um, say something so awful? Well, Look at the whole, the totality of his comments. This guy, this guy's lost. He's damaged. And of course, he wasn't there for his son. From what I could tell, they had a phone call in 2016 and another one in 2022. The mother told the father that your son killed himself. Told him that in 2016. I mean, wow. I mean, I could see, you know, you don't talk to your father or whatever. You don't talk to their, their things happen, but he killed himself. So he's dead. So don't go looking for him. Yikes. Anyway, I just I see so much of what America is into, so much of what America has become on display. You know, it's easy to point your finger at a porno porno star and say, oh, my goodness, great. uh, The porno star and the porno star said this. Oh, my gosh. Just condemn, condemn, condemn. Uh, Folks, I yeah. I don't know about anybody who actually works in the porno business, but I think I know a lot of people who consume their product. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Something like 70, 80, 90 percent of the population looks at that stuff or has seen it. It's something. And I, hey, I'm no innocent here. I've seen it. I don't want to say how recently or whatever, but I've seen it. Somebody said this about pornography. It's interesting. It does not. It does not. Uh, fill a void. It creates a void uh, for those consuming it. And yes, for those who create it. Oh, gosh, one horror story after the next. It's all about drugs and alcohol and exploitation. Maybe, just maybe we need to, uh, why don't somebody stand up and say, uh, I don't think we should be doing this anymore as a country, as a culture. It's one thing. Remember when Playboy magazine was uh, risque? Remember when uh, Penthouse, right? Yeah. It's everywhere, and every child has access to it, and the, the stuff they do, and has nothing to do, by the way, with procreation. Sex is ultimately about procreation. I was listening to that Ben Shapiro. You know him? Guy who's like graduated Harvard Law when he was 12 years old. He laid it out beautifully. You know, there was a time in America, you met somebody, you fell in love, you got married, then you had sex. Now you have sex. Maybe you fall in love. Maybe you get married. It's it's totally in reverse order. Totally in reverse. Just like our country. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, folks. You know my, my book is coming out January 10th. It's called Justice for All, How the Woke Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement by me, Greg Kelly. Published by Threshold Books, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. Me. Greg Kelly, I've written a book, and I am so excited. I really, really am. Uh, The president of the United States, former President Trump, endorsed this book. My friend Greg Kelly has written a very important book, and he urged all patriots to buy it. I am so thrilled. And by the way, I do want all patriots to buy this book. 
and you can go to your independent bookstore. Tell them you want to order the book. They may give you a look. Maybe they won't. <laughs> but tell them you want to order the book, and um, they'll put it on hold for you. You can go to Amazon, however you like to get books. But I do like those independent bookstores, the little ones. You know, the little – lately, you can go in there and buy Legos. I went in uh, <laughs> I went in not too long ago. I was looking for an old copy of Catcher in the Rye. I walked out with two Millennium Falcons. I just had to have them. So support your, and you can go to bookshop.org. You can go to Amazon. Lots of ways to get this book, and you can listen to it. And I'm going to actually give you a portion right now because I'm telling you, nobody but nobody has touched this issue. And I, uh, I go there. I'm talking about Ashley Biden and her diary. Now, number one, my policy when it comes to diaries, especially missing diaries, is to return them to their rightful owner and never mention it again. But unfortunately, Joe Biden chose to make this a federal case. Yes, they did. Some girl loses her diary, and they made it a federal case. They should never have done that. Here we go. From my book, Justice for All, How the Woke Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement by Greg Kelly. This comes up on page 177. Ashley Biden, Joe Biden's daughter, evidently left some bags at a former roommate's house in Florida. Someone went through her stuff and found her diary, which contained personal information about her family's weird sexual dynamics. The diary found its way to the hands of conservative journalist James O'Keefe, whose organization Project Veritas is famous for running stings on Planned Parenthood and other liberal organizations. The Trump campaign expressed no interest in exploiting the diary for campaign purposes and advised Project Veritas to give the diary to the FBI, which it did. But then, in 2022, the FBI raided the offices of Project Veritas and the homes of its employees, claiming they were investigating the theft of the diary. But the diary had gone astray from Ashley Biden's hands well before the election, when her father was a private citizen. Why was the FBI so vigorously pursuing the question of this missing diary, even to the point of harassing the journalistic organization that had given the diary to them in the first place? This goes well beyond any abuse of federal law enforcement authority we've ever seen in America. The FBI is not the personal protection force for elected officials, even the president. But they are now behaving like a mob boss's thugs going around to harass anyone suspected of crossing the big guy. Not bad, right? I think that's pretty good. Not bad writing, too. I'm very excited about it. Uh, And no one, no one, no one is... And they should. This should be the biggest story in the world. I put it in my book, along with Ashley Babbitt. I can't believe. I cannot, but to this day, I can't believe how many people, how many Republicans, so-called Republicans, what do we call those? Rhinos have turned their back on this, what I, what I consider to be a murder, an unarmed woman shot and killed by police. And nobody gives a damn. We will never forget Ashley Babbitt. Okay, what do you think? Uh, Bob is in Westchester. Hi, Bob. Bob? I'll get back to you on that one. Yes, Bob. Hi. Hi, how are you? Fine. I just I just wanted to go over this thing with uh, Trump, what they're demonizing him on now. It's so tiring, uh, everything. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, Trump also made friends with uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea and neutralized him. Totally. The other people didn't want to talk to him, didn't want to do anything, and he'd be shooting missiles all over the place. So there's a reason to talk to people, and a re- no matter where they're from. You know what? 
Bob, I'm so glad you called. You're right. The Kim Jong-un angle here as well. You make peace with your enemies. You talk to your enemies. And uh, I like it. I like what you just said. I'm going to actually uh, I'm going to weave that into my narrative tonight on the show. Bob, I thank you. And uh, remember that they told him, don't do it. Don't go to North Korea. We can't. Uh, you got to let, let us diplomats uh, have 5,000 meetings about this first. <laughs> and uh, he just did it. And the world was a better place. Hey, by the way, you see the protests going on in China and Iran. Uh, I think they're awesome, quite frankly. And I admire the people there standing up to those uh, horrible regimes. Who talked tough when it came to Iran and China? Who Who was tough when it came to Iran and China? You know it. It was China's fault. It was China. And they're going to pay a big price. Remember that? I also remember uh, I spent more time with Xi Jinping than any other world leader. I traveled with him 70,000 million miles more than anyone else. The leader of China, me, Joe Biden from Scranton. Remember all that? I know that's a crummy Joe Biden impression, but uh, he does. Bra- he bragged about that. Wants to join the Iran nuclear deal, which totally sold out Israel, by the way. And here we are (laughs) selling out Israel, joining the Iran nuclear deal. And everyone's worked up about Kanye and Trump. Judy in Manhattan. Hello. Are you there? Yes, sir. Um, I was just uh, uh, going to comment on your uh, Trump uh, talk yeah and and wondering if maybe um we the people should appreciate that he was an a an effective negotiator on many different levels and based on knowing all sides and all facts of something as evidenced in his administration when he had various different opinions that helped him make good decisions Perhaps he was just trying to help uh, uh, one person that was in need of of help and another that went with him that uh, he didn't know who was and uh, was willing to talk and help them out. Has anybody thought of that? I, I think I, I think you, uh, me, <laughs> you're talking to the guy. And also I think Donald Trump, I think that's where he was coming from. I think that's where he was coming. He said as much in his true social post. I thought I could help him out. What's going on here? What kind of idiots anti-Semitic? Kanye, that, you're better than that. What's going on with you? What's going on with you, Kanye? What's the, What the hell? What do you think? You're Nick Cannon? What are you, auditioning for a show on Fox? What's wrong with you, Kanye? Uh, something along those lines. And as we know, Donald Trump, awesome, awesome friend of Israel. Judy, what neighborhood are you in? I'm in Manhattan on the east side, on the 2nd Avenue side. All right. Very good. Very good. Thank you for calling. Um, oh, and uh, we got to figure out, we got to help Joe Biden understand the difference between semi-automatic weapons and automatic weapons. Talk about a guy. Oh, yeah. And that brings me back to that face of that alleged killer in Colorado. And the evidence is overwhelming. You know, I, I'm not saying he didn't do it. I'm saying alleged because I have to say it. I think he's overwhelmingly, you know, this is the guy. We know who the shooter is. This is not a this is not a who done it. But instead of addressing all of the other issues, the myriad issues, and there are so many that puts a kid like that in that position, pulling the trigger. About the last one, the last one, I think that actually needs to be addressed is the gun one. I do. I really feel that way. I feel like there's so many other things. 
And uh, so many things wrong with our culture. It's not the guns. It's the culture, actually. We have a sickness. Of course, Joe Biden comes out there. Do we have it? Do we have him as he's uh, on vacation? Well, who goes to borrow somebody's house when they're on vacation, by the way? What's wrong with Camp David? Whatever happened at Camp David? I'll tell you what's wrong with Camp David. It's off in the woods. And America is all now about conspicuous consumption. I mean, why be the president if you can't flaunt it? I think that's what Joe Biden is. I think that's what he is. He wants to walk down that street and feel like a big shot. He could go to Camp David. You know, Close your eyes and try to think, what does Camp David look like? Nobody knows. No one's ever been there. Okay. <laughs> Just nobody. It's got some cabins and stuff and a pool. Uh, it's perfect. Perfect for a, a family retreat. Thanksgiving. Gosh, if he doesn't want to use it, I would love to use it. I'd love to see Camp David. You know, I heard of some presidents say go there so that the Secret Service could take the day off. Not Joe Biden. Uh, he, he goes up to um, this, uh, this, whose house was it again? The head of Carlisle Group. Uh, Rubenstein, Mr. Rubenstein, David Rubenstein, who I met once, by the way, met him at a party. Guess what? This guy only wants to talk to billionaires. I was the last person. He looked right through me. Oh, boy. Sorry, I think Mr. Jobs is over there. Sorry, you must want to get to Google's Eric Schmidt. Sorry, I didn't start an Internet company. Sorry, I'm not the richest man in the world. David Rubenstein, you know what? You got lucky. You're a lobbyist. You're a lobbyist, pal. You went to the swamp and you got lucky. And now. David Rubenstein, you got to see this guy. He's such a piece of work. He goes and interview, interviews. He has a, he bought himself a, t- a talk show, uh, and I think they air it on Bloomberg and sometimes on Channel 13. David Rubenstein, the ultimate swamp dweller. He got all of his money because he worked for Jimmy Carter for a year, and then he becomes like this, you know, a glorified lobbyist with all kinds of connections, and he has a show. He has the nerve, the nerve to call his show Peer-to-Peer Conversations with David Rubenstein. Peer-to-peer. Like, I'm a peer of, and who are his guests? Uh, I happen to know he had Lloyd Blankfein on. I think he also had, uh, uh, he's like the, the richest, most successful in the world. And this guy is a lobbyist. I don't care how rich you are, you're not their peer. And just to call it peer-to-peer conversations, I wouldn't do that. I just, I, I, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Even if I could do that, I wouldn't do that. It's a silly thing to do, peer-to-peer conversations, really arrogant. Um, all right, so we got to straighten out Joe on the Constitution. Joe seems to think because he's president, he can get rid of uh, guns. And one of the reasons why we're supposed to have guns, I believe, it might be in the Federalist Papers, They don't want the government getting carried away uh, with their power. It's meant, I do believe, somewhat as a check on power, uh, federal government, their power becoming too strong. They won't try certain things if they know the populace. They they shouldn't provoke the populace, right? They shouldn't provoke us. Now, we're nowhere near anything like that, but it's not inconceivable. It's happened before in human history where a regime gets uh, carried away and uh, decides we don't we don't want this uh, Second Amendment of yours. We don't want this First Amendment of yours. We can take it like that. Hey, I'm quoting somebody, by the way, Joe Biden. <laughs> he absolutely said that. Eric is also in Manhattan. Hi. Uh, hello. 
Yeah. Hello. hello. Yeah. Hey, hey. Uh, Greg? Yes. Okay. No, they didn't say anything. Just speak. Um, Greg, I want to ask you, has any one of these people that are persecuting Trump again ad nauseum, have any of them con- condemned like Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar or any of the vile stuff they say? Nah, they you are the best. I love my callers. I love you guys. The other guy who said Kim Jong-un, uh, the Kim Jong-un thing, and where was the condemnation of that anti-Semitic, awful, disgusting squad? Uh, who, who's in that? Ilan Omar? Yeah. Tlaib up there in Michigan. AOC uh, seems to uh, skirt anti-Semitic memes all the time. Uh, she, yeah, you're right about that. Where were they? Well, they're protected because anti-Semitism is unfortunately, tragically uh, everywhere. Uh, especially with the left, especially with the left. Oh, boy. I shouldn't say everywhere. I mean, there are people out there fighting it, good people fighting it, good people, but it has seeped into so many institutions. All right, Eric, good point. Uh, All right, Judith, today's your day. Hello. Are you there? She always writes these big manifestos, handwritten letters to the boss of the company complaining that I don't put her on the radio. Judith, I'm talking to you now. Are you there? Yeah, I am here. All right, Hi. Judith. I heard about that letter you wrote, a nasty letter about me. That's okay. No, That's okay. It was no, very I, no, it was yeah, very no, it was no. very long and very hurtful. You know, I'm very hurt about no. this. And uh <laughs> I I I you shouldn't write those letters. I wrote it to Matt Meany and I met Well, Matt guess Meany, who so Matt Meany is? My boss. Oh, please. He's younger than you. He's a baby. You know, that's Come what on. that that's how the world works, by the way, especially in broadcasting. You work for people no, younger than you. Hey, Judith, you're going to tell me. You see, you know everything. That's one of the reasons why I don't take your call. You know everything. You even know how. Excuse me. You're going to tell me who my boss is and who he is. And oh, he's younger than me. Therefore, I have a, he's my boss. You wrote him a four-page uh, handwritten front and back. So I guess it's eight pages. You know, we get we get letters like that all the time um, from from prison and from people like you. That's it. That's that's where those letters come from. I'm getting so worked. Judith, how can you do that? Every day I come here, poor, I don't, working for you. So what? You know, some stations have a rule that you can't call. You can't, you have to wait 30 days before the next phone call. You wrote a letter to my boss. Hey, where do you work? I want to write a letter to him. Okay. Or I'll her. You when we're, when, listen, 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 Greg, listen, you're very funny. Listen. I'm not um, joking. Well, well, you hurt me very badly. I heard Hello. you. I heard you. Well, I, I, you. So you wrote a you letter to the boss. You, you, you letter to the boss. You're, you're threatening my livelihood. Listen. Writing a letter to the boss. So listen, I'm only well, taking your call because the boss hmm. highly yeah. encouraged me to do so once. Okay, great. So this is Thank it. So Go ahead. So do me a favor. Okay. Stop talking. Okay. Stop talking. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna. No. Hello. I'm sorry. I don't care what Matt Meany said. I don't care what Matt. I'm not talking to Judith. All right. Deep breath. All right, Judith. What is it? I'm calling because of President Trump. Okay. I have to call because I have to defend him and understand something. I never met my grandparents because they uh, committed the crime of being born Jewish. So they were murdered. They were murdered by this uh, monster with a human face called Hitler. So I never knew that Kanye West thinks that Hitler is like this whole love affair with Hitler. But I have to tell you something. I have to defend President Trump because I trust President Trump. I kind of know that he's absolutely not an anti-Semite. And if you want to know something, I would get in, I would get in touch with Kanye West myself and try to talk to him. And I do believe, I think I heard this, I don't know where, Greg, 
But I think he got him there to talk about uh, talking him out of running for 2024. That's Kanye West. He's got aspirations and he's bipolar and he's not. All right. We've read all this in the paper, Judith. And I, by, by the way, much respect to your uh, your late grandparents. I'm so sorry. And you so you know what that's like. You never even met him. I mean, can you believe yeah. that horror? That happened. That happened. And people people forget. All right, Judith, I got to go to a break. Final word. Okay, so just want to say, I think I think at present has a soft spot in his heart for Kanye. Feels bad for him, and maybe he like everyone said, like Judy from Manhattan and the guy by Bob. I agree with all of them, and I think President Trump is still the greatest president ever, and I would vote for him in a heartbeat. All right, Judith, thank you very much. All's good. Just uh, you know, cool it with the letters, okay? All right, thank you very much, and I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, Brittany Griner, the uh, basketball player. For those of you assuming, oh, this is going to be handled sooner or later, right? No, no. Uh, she's in some hard labor camp. And the Russians, they don't do prison like we do. Uh, you make big rocks into small rocks. It's a horrible, horrible place. And she's there for what? Walking around with a marijuana. A marijuana residue, I think, in one of her pipes or something like that. Very, very. I mean, the kind of thing you can do in Manhattan on the street you know, that's something else about marijuana. We didn't really prepare America. You know, okay, you're going to be able to smoke it everywhere and anywhere, but uh, you, not the rest of the world is doing this. In fact, most aren't, and you get into serious trouble. Anyway, Brittany Griner, and uh, I do know that Donald Trump would, would get her back or could get her back. Got ASAP Rocky back. <laughs> Got all those guys back from North Korea. Uh, and unlike... Joe Biden, who won't stick his neck out, he'll let all these bureaucrats talk the issue to death and forget about it. He actually put presidential power and prestige on the line. Something else that he did that very disruptive to the system of the swamp. You got to let the swamp do all the work. No, 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 no. The president is not supposed to do any of this. It's up to us. It's up to the staff. It's up to us unelected bureaucrats. We're in charge, not you. You know, Biden has uh, mishandled everything regarding Russia, everything regarding everything, quite frankly. Um, But we have no now we have no authority. We have nothing. We have nothing to. No, he can't. He can't get Vladimir Putin on the phone. Look, I don't like Vladimir Putin. um, But it would be nice to be able to get him on the phone. I don't like Kim Jong Un. But it would have been nice to get him on the phone. Donald Trump could. Joe Biden, I don't think even if he could, he'd probably more damage than it's worth. Uh, once again, uh, folks, and you'll forgive me, but it's very important that this book gets out there because for a couple of reasons, conservatives, we have the deck stacked against us when it comes time to book publishing. Very few publishers are brave enough to publish something, uh, from conservatives, only a handful in the world, quite frankly. And I'm very grateful that I found a great publisher, Threshold Books, an imprint of Simon and Schuster and the book. Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement by me, Greg Kelly, is available now wherever books are sold. I do love those independent bookstores, though. You know, I used to love, you. I, I still do, but you can't do it as much as you used to. There were more bookstores. And now, I mean, Amazon, and I get stuff on Amazon, too. Um, but I'd appreciate it because if this book is the hit that I think it can be, guess what? I'll be able to write another book. And... I've only just begun in America. I do believe that I can move the needle in a dramatic way that helps this country. 
I am uniquely situated to do it. I've been through a lot. There's not much they can say or do to me at this point. So please consider the book, and I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ah, Thanksgiving was great. It was uh, nice. Did I tell you? Oh, I think I did. I had it at a restaurant. For the second year in a row, the Kellys did Thanksgiving at a restaurant. Growing up, I would have thought that that's, uh, oh, that's sacrilegious. How can you have it in a restaurant? It's all about. But it actually makes a lot of sense. Less stress, less work, and ultimately you eat a lot less food, which, you know, sooner or later is a good thing. Uh, as a kid, I, I just wanted to eat all I could, all I can, all you can eat, and um you know, this is how you gain weight. This is why people steadily gain weight over the years. Uh, you binge out on Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, you put you put the pounds on. And I can't have that. I can't have that. My I had a really weird chest pain for about two seconds. I already described it to my cardiologist. He said, "Don't worry about it." Uh, so, but still, I have got to. I think I'm going to go. I'm not for this um, electric car nonsense and. Uh, but I think I am for eating more green. They say if you go plant-based, you'll live to be 100. You don't have to actually become a vegetarian. But if you go plant-based, uh, just more, you know, more greens and stuff like that, you'll be good. More fish. And I think I, you know what? What the hell? From what I hear, steak is really bad. It's really bad for you. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But uh, I would rather live to be 100. I really would. My family has strict orders. If I, you know, find my way into, a, you know, if I'm in a coma or something like that, uh, you know, everybody says, well, if there's no sign of uh, uh, brain waves, you know, pull the plug. No. I have detailed orders that I must be preserved no matter what the cost as long as possible because you never know when they're going to show up uh, with a cure. Right? Is that fair? I think so. Um what else? All right. We talked about the Joe Biden situation. No, we talked about the Donald Trump situation along with uh, along with Kanye and uh, Kanye. Sorry, we tried to help you. You're a lost soul and uh, you're on your own now. You're on your own. And keeping the uh, subway set. We're making hey, Lee Zeldin. What's next for Lee Zeldin? He ran a great campaign. He should be the governor right now. Can't believe it. New York actually voted for Kathy Hochul. What does she stand for, by the way? Looking and waving. I mean, is the beauty parlor vote? All that big? Yeah, you know, she really did look like one of those people who spent a lot of time at the beauty parlor. I'm talking about like back when we called it the beauty parlor, you know? When was that? The 50s, the 60s, maybe a little smidgen of the 70s. She's got that look. And I don't see why. why. Oh, abortion. Abortion. She'll protect our right. No, no. You know, abortion's always going to be the law of the land in New York. It is. And Lee Zeldin promised as much. He did. There weren't the votes in the legislature, nor would there have been to uh, to get rid of abortion in New York State. Hey, if I run for mayor, I'm sorry, folks. I'm not running on a right-to-life platform. That's up to the people of New York. They've already decided it. We know how they feel. You know, I'm just I'm not going to. That's just not going to be my, my mission. I could make it my mission, and I could automatically not get elected. Now, if I do run, it's going to be one hell of a tough uphill fight so many institutions the whole damn system will be rigged against me and um i can do some real good but i'm never going to be able to stop abortion in new york city i'm not 
I could wave a magic wand, that's one thing. But I'm not going to, and I'm not. It's not my. It's not my. It's not. Just can't do it. All right. Does that disappoint anybody? No, I, I don't think so. I think you understand. Hey, by the way, uh, you know, everyone still, oh, if Trump would only tone down the rhetoric. If Trump would not say this, if he wouldn't do that, you do know that DeSantis is probably 10 times worse than Trump when it comes to this stuff. You you can look it up. Try to find Trump saying anything truly derogatory about Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci. What he said is Dr. Fauci was wrong a lot. He was wrong about a lot of things. So I stopped listening to him. DeSantis said, ah, that little dwarf should be uh, thrown into the, uh, the, 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 the Potomac River. Throw that dwarf into the Potomac River. Right? Wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's, that's like not only mean, it's kind of sophomoric. I mean, they called him a dwarf. I don't know how tall he is. I guess he's small, but you don't call somebody a dwarf. I mean, if you want to give him a nickname of uh, some type, I don't think, has Trump ever hit anybody well, he did call Marco Little Marco. Um, was that a height thing, or is it just little? Is it just that Marco Rubio looked like he was in eighth grade and he was running for president? He looked like a guy, and apparently, according to the financials, you know, he bought a boat once that he couldn't afford, and it left him you know, with no money, and he basically had twelve bucks and a pair of pants. So, I think Little Marco. I don't think that was a problem actually calling him Little Marco. Do you? I can handle it. I can totally handle it. What do we think of these Iranian players in Qatar? Uh, they're showing, they're showing some guts. I think these soccer players. I don't care about soccer, but the soccer players from Iran, they know what's going on in their country. They're cracking down on those protests. They're hurting people. They're killing people. They're slaughtering women. Women dare go outside without a hijab on, and uh, the government goes in there with tanks. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. And these players, I notice these players don't take a knee for the national anthem of Iran. Apparently, they're muttering under their breath. That's what they do. They're they're muttering under their breath. But you know, we got to get with it, America. Take a look around. Educate yourselves. What real oppression looks like. Look at what's going on in China. You know, China is still locked down for COVID. I mean, locked down, literally locked down. Why why is the uprising happening? So the Chinese government, they were locking people in apartment buildings. If anybody had COVID inside, they locked the entire apartment building. Sounds like a fire risk, right? Well, it was. And fires have broken out and people have died. That is a regime worth protesting. That's a country where you take a knee. A country that locks its doors and barricades people inside. That's, (coughs) excuse me. Yikes, that's going to be. You take a knee when they hit the national anthem, not for America, not because uh, Donald Trump refuses to recognize your pronouns, so you're going to take a knee. No, I don't think so. Sandra in New Jersey, welcome back. You're on the air, Sandra. Oh, hi. Um, You know, I wanted to tell you that um, January 10th is coming up. Your book is going to be released. And last week you were saying that when the books come out, what are you going to do with them? Where are you going to go with them? So I wanted to know if you might be interested in maybe having a nice book event at the Women's National Republican Club. They would love to have you. 
And um, that's something to think about. That would be very nice. I think I will be doing that. Uh, and look, I would do a million of these events, but I'm hearing from the people who are really good at selling books, you know, Bill O'Reilly, Nelson DeMille. It's not so much about those book events anymore. It used to be all about a book party. You know what I mean? You got to throw the right book party and the right people come and they write about the book. And that was the name of the game. Uh, the game has changed rather dramatically in the past 15 years. And social media is like the biggest part of it. Uh, I guess these shows, Tucker and the rest getting on the shows. But really, quite frankly, the secret weapon is what's going on right here. Radio and me having the ability to talk about it, which I thank John Katz, you guys. Um, but to be able to talk about it every day, it's not like I got to wait, you know, until January 9th to get three minutes on the Tucker Carlson show. I can do it right now. And because most people hear about one book one time or one product one time, they're not going to buy it. They got to hear about it. Ten times before they actually do something. This is what some people are telling me. I don't know. But, yeah, the Republican Club, I would love to come by. You know, my uh, my cousin, Catherine Lenahan, used to help run the joint. Did you know that? Did you know Catherine Lenahan? Greg, I don't know anyone yet. I only went there twice, and you yelled at me the last time I told you about it. But I got to meet some people, and I made some cool connections, and they would love to have you. All right, all right. I, 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 I don't recall yelling at you. Yeah, you did, because the second time I told you I was going to this book event for, um, oh, Nick Adams, you started saying, oh, why am I, I was, I was, I was complaining about Nick Adams, yes. And then sometimes right. you do call up and you say, like, uh, Greg, I really enjoyed the, you know, you, you start making programming right. notes, and I don't, you know, that, that's I, right. You're right, that I did yell. I, I'm, I'm sorry I yelled, but this is how I come off. I'm a New Yorker. I'm sorry if I offended you. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Greg, listen. What? So, so they're going to call you on this, and I'm glad you're interested. So then I wanted to tell you I saw a great $10,000 speaking uh, fee. Just let them know that first. Whatever. I don't look. That's up to $10,000. I'm only kidding. I go for free, of course. I go for free because the, uh, okay. the the intent is to sell the book. So anyway, uh, uh, keep going. What? I wanted to tell you, I saw a fabulous movie the other day called Devotion, and I thought of you because, you know, I can't get over how you flew those planes because in this movie, it's about two aerial war. It's a a story about two pilots in the U.S. Navy, and they fought those, they fought in those, those, you know, those airplanes. I mean, they were. Is this the one about the track star? Is one of them a track star? No. Okay. One is, um. A, a, one is an African pilot, and and if there's a lot of his name was Jesse Brown. He he was like devoted to becoming, you know, a pilot for the for the for the United States. And okay. there was a lot of problems that they would put against him because there was bigotry and and hardship in his attempts to serve the U.S. And then he made friends with this other pilot, and they became and that's what devotion is all about. This other pilot sacrificed his life to save Jesse Brown. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yes, 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 yes. I did not know it for, yes, I've heard this story. In fact, I met a distant cousin of uh, of the white guy in the movie who just sent me the book. Oh, yes, yes, yes. This all rings a bell now. I got to read that book. I got it from uh, uh, people at my daughter's school. Uh, they're, they're, they're related to this guy. Pretty cool. All right, Sandra, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I will get right on that. Hey, is there going to be a rail strike or what? Joe Biden uh, is uh, off there in uh, Nantucket. Is he back yet? 
He does not know anything uh, about this stuff. Nothing. He does not know how he for him. Governing is politics, raising money, smiling, doing favors, but actually sitting down with people and negotiating, getting something done. When you haven't done anything, you can't start when you're 80 years old. And he is 80, by the way. It's funny. That was barely mentioned by the fake news. Uh, an 80th birthday, the oldest, oldest president we have ever had. Now, if the railway goes on strike, we are screwed for uh, Christmas. We really are. And is it going to happen? Well, what about what about Pete Buttigieg? Is, is he all over it? Another another um, another guy just there for the prestige, just there for the uh, imagine that he's 38 years old. He's 38 years old. He's already had a movie done about him and a book done about him, and he wrote a book about him. You know, one thing about my book, it's not about me. It's not a memoir. I mean, I do reveal certain stories in there and things in that that happen. I do talk about the first time I ever saw my dad use a gun when he pulled out a gun in the line of duty. It was pretty wild. Uh, Chasing a purse snatcher, and my brother and I were with him. It was the first time I realized, wow, this is what he does. Because we knew he went to work, and his job was catching bad guys. That's what we said. That's that's what we how we referred to it in the house. But I didn't know what it actually looked like, what that actually meant. Well, then I saw we were in front of Times Square stores in January of, uh, what was it, 1975 or something like that. My mom had gone in to return a toy aircraft carrier uh, that my brother had gotten for his birthday. Anyway, while she's in the store, some guy hanging outside the store steals a woman's purse. And my dad hit the gas, and we went from zero to 100. About I've never felt a car, anything, an airplane, nothing has accelerated that fast. And we never drove as recklessly, or I shouldn't say recklessly. He was behind the wheel. He knew what we was doing. But we were jumping, you know, those traffic islands. We jumped those. I, I swear the car was airborne for a moment. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? He said, somebody did something bad. And I was like, wow, wow, this is what he does for a living. Anyway, he jumps out of the car, pulls out his gun, and then there's growling, yelling, it was bad. Anyway, then it's really quiet, and then I don't see anything. And then about 10 seconds later, my dad comes back into the car with the purse. He said, where did he go? He said, he, he climbed over the fence. What did he say? He said, go ahead and shoot me. I have nothing to live for. And we got the purse back. Why didn't you chase him? Why didn't you go over the fence? I said, because you guys are here. <laughs> that made sense. So um, what what also really impressed me about the story is uh, he was done talking about it by the time we got home, which was 10 minutes away. We stopped at Dairy Barn for milk, and uh, he, was, he was totally over it. It was the adventure of a lifetime for me, but for him, that was his day job. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yeah, Lee Zeldin, uh, what's next for him? I don't know. Uh, unfortunately, Alvin Bragg, the district attorney. Lee Zeldin, something good, something big. Could he be running the uh, Republican National Committee? Could he be the next Speaker of the House of Representatives? I haven't heard much about that. Is it going to be, what's his name? Is it going to be Kevin McCarthy? What do they call it? McFailure? you got McCarthy, you've got uh, McConnell, and you got Ronna McDaniel. The McFailures, uh, they really screwed it up, these midterms. Oh, it should have been so much better. I know firsthand, you know, McCarthy screwed over this guy, J.R. Majewski, a Republican from Ohio, who was running, a great guy, great record. The fake news lied about him. And what happened? 
Kevin McCarthy believe the fake news. <laughs> he's just, oh, he's the worst. They're all terrible. Um, uh, except for, well, a handful that we like, including Lee Zeldin. So Alvin Bragg, the very woke, very weird, very strange district attorney here in New York County. You know, Manhattan is technically called New York County. And uh, he's the district attorney. I saw this silly piece he wrote the other day. He said, 83% of the people voted for me. Wrong. <laughs> How many people are in Manhattan? I think it's about 2 million, 2 to 3 million. And uh, he got about, he got less than 100,000 votes. A pathetic number of votes. But nobody shows up in these elections. And we get people like Alvin Bragg. And here he is playing the race card. Cut 16. The rhetoric during the campaign was, uh, you know, kind of sobering and discouraging, you know, taking us back to kind of Willie Horton uh, era politics. So encouraging to see the response, but more more broadly, our uh, our body politic, both throughout our state and nationally, it's, it's sobering and discouraging um, that we are we are still uh, seeing what we saw during the campaign. So, well, you used a, a very charged historical reference there, Willie Horton. Will you go a little deeper into that? <laughs> sure, and, and I know you, you have an astute listenership, so that we'll, we'll call that. Hey, stop that, for that. a second. There's nothing wrong with the Willie Horton ads as well. Gosh. <laughs> they were designed, I believe, by Roger Ailes for uh, George H.W. Bush. What's his name? Bill, uh, Michael Dukakis. Remember him? Thought it was just A-OK to uh, have uh, convicted murderers uh, go home for the weekend. And one convicted murderer went home for the weekend and... Uh, uh, killed a couple of people and raped a few people, and uh, that's a that's a bad thing. I mean, that's a legitimate issue in a campaign, totally legitimate issue. But you can't say the color of the person who did it. You can't even show their face. What? Why? What's the difference? It's the policy we didn't like. Alvin Bragg. Alvin Bragg, who single-handedly just said, you don't have to pay the subway fare anymore. Just ride the damn subway. It's unenforceable. We have laws. You're the district attorney. You're not the emperor. What a, huh. we'll see, we'll see. Maybe we can recall this guy. It's happened before. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, so we just had the 59th anniversary of the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, next year is going to be a big deal. I mean, uh, it's always a big deal. And those of you old enough to remember, uh, Probably remember where you were when you found out, but next year is the 60th anniversary. Hey, imagine um, in the days after the assassination, they bring in the suspect, and you're sitting there watching TV, and um, they bring in Lee Harvey Oswald, and you're like, wait a second. I know this guy. I. <laughs> it happened to our next guest. Uh, his name is Paul Gregory. He's written a, uh, a new book, fascinating. Uh, I actually downloaded it just now, and I have the hard copy as well. The book is called The Oswalds. An Untold Account of Marina and Lee, uh, available wherever books are sold. It's written by uh, Paul Gregory. Professor Gregory, uh, welcome to uh, WABC. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. So uh, November 22nd, 1963, Kennedy shot. You're watching the news. Uh, within a day or so, they show Oswald. What was your reaction? And how? And you, you knew him beforehand. Just tell us the story. How did you get to know this guy? Well, there are two questions. Uh, one is, where was I? Uh, the other is, how did I get to know? With respect to the where was I, it was not days later. It was uh, around 4 p.m., uh, the day of the assassination, that uh, the reporter said they're bringing in a suspect. 
and here he comes, and there I see my friend uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in in a white T-shirt, bruised face. Uh, as you can imagine, that was quite a shock. I was sitting with other students in front of the TV at the time, so um, I think I said, yes, I know that guy, but no one paid attention to me. In terms of uh, how I got to know them, uh, my father is Russian. He left Russia at the age of uh, around 20 and uh, became a petroleum engineer. But as a hobby, he taught Russian in the local library. So he would be the only one in Fort Worth noted for knowing Russian. So when Lee and Marina came back to the state to our common hometown, Fort Worth, Lee went to my father to get a certificate saying that he was proficient in Russian. If there was any employment in this area, they should think of uh, Lee. So that's how it, how it all got started. Hey, by the way, uh, I actually read once he wasn't that good in Russian. Uh, it was ba- He never really mastered it. Uh, what did your dad say about his ability to uh, speak Russian? Was it all there, or did he have a lot of work to do? Uh, well, my... my uh, I would focus this question on my experience with Lee because uh, he and I and Marina spoke Russian uh, during our time together. So we were together around uh, one and a half months, and I would go over to their house uh, a couple of times a week, and we would uh, speak Russian. I would take them to buy groceries, sightseeing, et cetera. So I had a good fix on his, his Russian. So how was it, sir? How was it, Professor? Was he good? Uh, it was he could express himself well. Uh, he knew all the words for um, various foods, um, mechanical things and like that. So as a result of submersion in the language for three years, he could express himself uh, fluently in Russian, but with terrible grammar. So he never mastered grammar. Uh, and, you know, there are these uh, conspiracy theories that he was sent to some KGB training camp when he spent his three years in 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 Russia. Um, if that were the case, I would think the KGB would have taught him some grammar. But uh, he spoke and he spoke fluently, and I was a good judge because uh, that's all we spoke. All right. So listen, I understand the part about your dad. He's the guy, you know, the, the certificate. But how did you end up hanging around him? I mean, why, why, how did that start? Well, it started the same way. Lee came into my father's office and uh, got the certificate that he was fluent. And uh, Lee said, we're staying with my brother, Robert, Um, and here's a telephone number. So if you'd like to meet uh, my wife, who's uh, Russian, give us a call. Uh, My father did so. uh, So he and I went together and uh, um, met Lee and Marina at uh, Robert Oswald's house, and that's how the um, relationship began. All right. And uh, by the way, i got to mention as an observation, it is interesting to hear you call him Lee. You know what I mean? I mean for, for, I've only heard him referred to as Oswald, but you know him, you knew him, and uh, Lee is, uh, you know, you're calling him by the first name, and it's appropriate. It's just a little bit, you know, it's different in a way. And, uh, of course, that's uh, that's uh, that's there in the book. All right. So, uh, well, let, let me say that... Um, in writing the book, I had to confront this issue, and it, if it was something that was sort of personal, a personal relationship thing, I would I would use Lee. If it were Oswald did this and Oswald did that, then it would be Oswald. 
All right. So um, you get to know this guy a little bit. What's he like? Uh, that's that's a question I hate to get because it requires a very long answer. Well, I mean, just give me the gist of it. Pretend we're on an it, elevator. It, and it the- was um, uh, a loner and a loser. Uh, that's what comes to mind uh, first. Uh, he had uh, illusions or delusions of grandeur. He thought that he was going to return to the United States. He'd had three years of experience behind the Iron Curtain. He had written what he called his historic diary, and that was one reason for coming into my father, sort of to get started on uh, a publishing contract for his uh, historic diary. So he thought he would be something of a celebrity in the U.S., and when he and Marina landed at Dallas Love Field, uh, his first question is, where are the reporters? Yeah, and there weren't any. So this was someone who uh, felt that he had gotten sort of a, a, a bad shake uh, in his sure. life. Uh, he was owed something. He was a he was a uh, an important figure. He should go down in history. By the way, and this this was what his mother had taught him. So oh, Marguerite. Now she's a total. She was a total psycho, my understanding. Look, I want to, we'll get back sure. to that in a moment, if you don't mind, though. So you see this guy on TV, you know you know him, and uh, I guess the FBI, Secret Service, you know, they want to talk to you, they talk to your dad. Um, that must have been a very strange feeling, and I wonder if you ever felt any, not that you should have, but I can understand a certain natural, did you feel any guilt, or what did you feel? It, that's just a weird thing to have been a friend, an associate of a presidential assassin. Uh, number one, how did it feel? And number two, how did the authorities treat you? Did they treat you like a you know a good guy or a bad guy? Well, uh, my answer to your second question is they treated me exceedingly well, uh, very politely and respectfully. And remember, I was 21 at the time, so I was just a kid. Uh, they found me um, early the next morning. Uh, and my when they came to my doorway, which was in Norman, Oklahoma, because I was a student there, I said, "Boy, you found me quickly." And I le- later learned in reading testimony that I was one of the few people who showed up on the radar. At the at, their term for me was as a known associate of uh, of Oswald. Yeah, you see, that doesn't sound good. I mean, it doesn't even like it sounds. No, it sounds it? like I did it. Right. Yeah. It's a negative connotation. So, all right. So we got that part. So, how did you feel? How did you feel being labeled as such? And and just what, that had to be a very odd sensation. I would say just uh, I was in shock the whole time. Uh, so I, I would, if I were to pick one word, I would say shock. Uh, in terms of uh, feeling of guilt, you know, I, I think I told myself there's just no way you can blame yourself for anything. Although. Uh, we did. I did a couple of things for the for Lee and Marina, which, uh, in retrospect, one could have said if that had not happened, then this wouldn't have happened. Such as uh, inviting them to meet the the Dallas Russians. We were the Fort Worth Russians, and it was that meeting that caused Lee and Marina to to move to Dallas and and so on. So one could say, well. If the Gregories had not existed, uh, there would have been no assassination. But you could 
do this about a thousand other things. Sure. And let's, I mean, Fort Worth, I mean, Kennedy was at Fort Worth. I mean, if he, yeah, you're right, you can't blame yourself, obviously. And But it's interesting. It's so interesting. All right. So let me just, uh, you spent some time with him and you said he was, you know, kind of had a chip on his shoulder and uh, thought he was all this and uh, he was a loser. But you hung out with him multiple times. Uh, why did you, why, why would you spend, you know, it's, and it's your option. It's a free country. Why would you, what were you getting out of being around them? Well, you have to think back to the Cold War. Uh, a, a person, male or female, newly arrived from the Soviet Union would have been a, a real oddity, a rarity. Uh, and so I, as a college student, someone who knew Russian and wanted to improve Russian, regarded this as a chance to uh, speak regularly with someone who was fresh from the Soviet Union and who could tell tell me about life in in the Soviet Union, which was basically a blackout uh, at that time. So the the idea was not for me to go over and and uh, speak with Lee. The idea was for me to go over and speak with Marina, uh, which I did I think two three times a week. But Lee was always present there too, and so quite often or. Most of the time, he would enter into the conversation, too. Mm. Hey, so this it is, was Marina I, that was the attraction, and definitely not Lee. Let's talk about Marina for a moment. Uh, Marina, Lee Harvey Oswald's uh, widow, my understanding is she's still alive, and she lives somewhere down there in the Dallas region. Is that true? It's true. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's a small town, so it's sort of a farming community. Uh, I think that community is pretty much protected her um, from probing eyes. Uh, I uh, have not talked to her since the assassination. I talked to her husband, her second husband, and uh, his job in life is to protect her. So uh, he pretty much does not allow others to speak with uh, Marina uh, almost 60 years after the the fact. All right. So let me get your thoughts, if you don't mind. And uh, I'm curious if they are in the book. I mean, who do you think killed Kennedy? You know, a lot of people don't think it was Oswald by himself. I personally do, by the way. But uh, where do you come on that? Uh, where do you come down on that question? Well, that was obviously the first question, the uh, Secret Service, when they picked me up on uh, the day after the assassination, wanted to know. Uh, I was in, in, in a police car driving to uh, Oklahoma City where they had an office, and I was hearing the radio reports coming in, which which more or less confirmed that Oswald had done it. You know, they're saying, yeah, we got the rifle. Yes, it is the assassination weapon and so forth. So they were asking me, you know, what, what do you think? And I, sa- and I said then, and I still believe it now, that this guy could not have been a part of a conspiracy. Um, he, he, he could not be a follower and he could not be a leader. Uh, he had the resources uh, to do the assassination, so it wasn't a high-tech thing. I think in order for him to prepare for the assassination, he needed like $200. And his, um, his uh, wage was one one twenty-five an hour. And if you do the calculation, it, yeah. it, particularly for someone who who loves to save money, he had the resources and he had the 
he was he was a killer because it's often forgotten that he barely missed uh, assassinating the Dallas General General Walker. Hey, you mentioned his brother, Robert. You talked about him a moment ago. I actually spoke to his brother, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago on the phone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought he was an incredibly gentle and nice person. And I thought, just forget about my phone call for a moment, but everything I know about how he handled this situation, it was as, as good as anyone could handle it. He did. He handled it with dignity. He he was just an all-around gentleman. It was the one of the worst things that could ever happen to a family. But he withstood it, and he did it with dignity. That's my take on Robert Oswald. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I, I share the result. The uh, I, I share your thoughts. Uh, he's one of the few very positive characters to come out of this uh, tragic tragic story. Um, my father translated for Marina the five uh, days after the assassination, so. He and Robert were cooped up with Marina and uh, kids and Secret Service for five days at the Six Flags Inn uh, between Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, Robert comes across as the real hero and as someone who who stood by his family no matter what. So it was up to Robert to prepare the funeral, which was not easy because no one wanted to have Oswald in in their cemetery. So... Now, Robert comes across as as a, as a real hero. Uh, Lee had a, a half-brother. Yeah. A John uh, Pick. John Pick. Hey, listen, do me a favor. Sure. i got to take a quick break. Will you stick around? I want, I got I got something I want to follow up with you. Yeah, uh, go ahead. All right, so the book, by the way, uh, which I've got the hard copy, and I just bought the Kindle as well. I usually do that with books I like. The Oswalds, an untold account of Marina and Lee. If you are an assassination buff, as I am, and uh, however you come on, come down on the issue, I think this is an important book. Uh, the Oswalds, available wherever books are sold by Paul R. Gregory. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, welcome back. We're on the phone with uh, an author. He just wrote a new book, which I find very fascinating. I uh, just got it. I'm making my way through it, uh, enjoying it very much. It's called The Oswalds. An Untold Account of Marina and Lee by Paul R. Kennedy. Uh, Professor Kennedy knew the Oswalds way back uh, before the assassination, and he's now telling the story. Hey, by the way, Professor, thanks for sticking around. Why are you writing this book now? I'm glad you did, but why Why now? I mean, this is a long time ago, and you're writing about your interactions with the Oswalds before the assassination. Why do it now? I, um, First of all, I led a very busy life after the assassination, and I didn't know whether I was capable of writing a, a full-length book uh, at that point. I am now. That's sort of it's become my profession. Uh, the main, uh, I would say, two things. Uh, one is our family uh, felt a, a sense of shame, with, and this relates to one of your earlier questions that we had associated with this person who was a, who was a, a known communist, a, a Marine deserter, uh, a someone who defected to the Soviet Union. So uh, our community and friends would have asked, well, you know, wh- what were you doing with that person? You know, why were you associating? So during my parents' lifetime, I felt I was not able to write such a book. Uh, so it was a sense of shame uh, that that really prevented this from being told. 
The second factor is we we know a lot more now than we did, uh, let's say, 1964, and that is uh, we have Oswald's uh, KGB file. We have uh, recent releases from CIA and uh, FBI wiretaps. So there's more uh, information now, but I would say it was the sense of shame and the fact that we did not want to share this story with the community. Yeah, no, I understand. Well, we know, no, uh, nothing to be ashamed of, of course. And, uh, Professor, this is an important contribution. By the way, a very successful professor. You got a master's in this, a PhD in that, uh, Stanford, Harvard, you name it. Uh, well, uh, Professor, I appreciate it. The book is called The Oswalds, an untold account of Marina and Lee. Uh, many thanks for joining us. I enjoyed the conversation. All right, sir. All the best to you. Uh, I do find that wild and uh, just to that that perspective. And uh, what a, it was something of a burden, I'm sure, to carry around for a bit. All right. Uh, we're almost out of the show, and some of you have been on the phone holding for a long time. Agnes in New Jersey, hello. Wait, do me a favor, Agnes. You stand right there. You stand by. I want to go to Max in Manhattan first. Max, yes. Max? Yes. What's up? Thank you, um, you were talking about Biden before. Um, let's not forget, according to Giuliani, uh, uh, Biden has received $31 million from the Chinese. Well, I do believe he's compromised by the Chinese big time. does make sense. I'm not familiar with the $31 million figure, but uh, his behavior indicates that he is compromised big time by the Chinese, Max, uh, with the Chinese. They know it, and they know it. And we know that, oh, it's a mess. It's a mess. Why, you think Joe Biden's clean as a whistle? Uh, Agnes in New Jersey, now it's your turn. Hi. Hi, Greg. I just want to say real fast that um, you're a lot like Trump. You tell the truth. And I'm glad people call you to say that they appreciate you. And perhaps your book, just like the previous uh, person that knew Oswald, might and could cure a lot of hate in the world. Now, Trump, meeting with Kanye West, I mean, he could get to know him better, and there are a lot of counselors that could help the people that they let out of jail that are hardened criminals. But there are priests that go to jails to help people, and for men and women that are in jail, you don't let the criminals out of jail to talk to them. So I'm just trying to say that thank you very much. And this Ashley Babbitt thing will also come out in the wash, just like Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes, it will, Agnes. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you all. See you guys tonight. Newsmax at 10 o'clock. I'll be there. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.